0: Thank you Wes. A man was struggling to get his washing machine through the front door of his house and uh, he just was really struggling. A, A neighbor walked by and saw him and being a good neighbor said, hey could you use some help? And the guy's going like, oh my gosh yes I could use some help. He said, I think we can get this really quickly if you'll grab on the outside and I'll grab on the inside and we can get this thing through the door. So it looked like it would be a pretty simple task, but after five minutes of struggling, I mean, they're both just sweating. It's just struggle, 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 and finally they just had to sit the washing machine back down again, and the, the good neighbor that had come by said, that thing must be a lot heavier than it looks like. He said, I don't think we're going to get this thing into your house. And the guy said, into my house? I'm trying to get it out of my house. I think that uh, the way that those two guys were working the washing machine is a lot of times the way that we work in our lives with God. We end up working at cross-purposes with God. And I think there's no place that it's more obvious than in our marriage. Did you know that God has a purpose for your marriage? And maybe the reason why it's so complicated, the reason why it's so difficult this morning is because you've been working at cross purposes with God. Marriage is so much easier. I didn't say easy, right? So much easier when we cooperate with God in what He's trying to do. Uh, so, how do we do that? Well, there's a, a verse in the book of Philippians that tells us how to cooperate with God in every part of our salvation. And I want you to look at that. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul is telling us a huge secret to the Christian life. And he says this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, and listen closely, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. These verses say that in your life, in your salvation, God has a part and you have a part. What is your part? Your part is to work out your salvation. Now notice it doesn't say work for your salvation, right? If you've been around here very long, you know that we've discovered that the Bible says you can't work for your salvation. If you're here this morning and thinking, Well, I hope my good outweighs my bad. I'm going to work really hard for God and try to do good things. That's not going to work. It's like the songs we were singing. It's all his grace and mercy. In fact, listen to what the Bible teaches in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says this, it is by God's grace that you're saved through faith. And even the faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. So no one could boast. So you can't work For your salvation, it's a free gift that Jesus gave us on the cross. And as we receive that and say, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I receive the gift that you gave me on the cross of opening that way of salvation. We become a believer. But just as you can't work for your salvation, the same really holds true in marriage. Did you know that? The Bible never says, make your marriage work. That's God's job. Did you know that? God's job is to make your marriage work. You can't make your marriage work. You can't fix or save or change your spouse. Did you know that? Or your kid, for that matter, right? That's God's job. Now, where it gets really complicated is a lot of us are trying to do God's job. We have tried to take control of it. We're Concerned, we're nervous, we're trying to be God in our marriage or in our parenting. And everyone else in your family is miserable because you're a terrible God. And you're miserable because you're trying to do a job that isn't yours. So you can trust that God is working in you so that you can work out some of this that He's worked in. We're going to be talking a lot about some of this in the next few weeks. This is the miracle of what God wants to do in your marriage. That's the difference between what God says marriage is is all about and what the world would say it's all about. So don't work at cross-purposes with God. Some of the biggest ways that we work at cross-purposes with God in our marriage is we buy into the lies that culture tries so hard to ingrain in our minds. So I want us to look at at a couple of lies and some excuses that we make and and see if we see ourselves in this.
1: Last week, Wes, 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 (laughs) Wes shared a message, a powerful message. If you haven't listened to that, if you weren't here last weekend, I want you to go back and listen to that this week. But he talked about some of the foundations for our life, the spiritual foundations we need for having a smart home. And we talked about lies that we believe, excuses that we make, and and how we need to throw all of those things out and take the next right step in our lives. And um, today, like Mark said, we want to look at some of those things related to marriage. The first lie I want you to see this morning is that my marriage shouldn't be hard. How many of you... Have believed that at some point. Maybe when you first got married, right? And everything's still rosy. Wes also shared um, the thought last weekend that that we can choose our heart. And he said, Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. And I think it's important for us to think about that and remember that. Sometimes when we get married and we've fallen in love and get married, we forget that marriage is hard. We forget that it's going to take a lot of hard work for us. And when struggles come, We fall into believing this lie. Well, if I had married the right person, it wouldn't be hard. You know, this shouldn't be a hard thing. We must not be right for each other. I must have made a mistake. This must be the wrong person. But nothing could be further from the truth. Every marriage is hard. Good marriages, bad marriages, they're all hard. Listen to what the Bible tells us about it. 1 Corinthians 7.28 says, But know that marriage is not easy, and those who marry We'll face hard times.
0: That's in the Bible. Right?
1: <laughs> I like how the, the amplified translation says it. It says it this way. Those who marry will have special challenges in ladies, this life.
0: Ladies, look at your significant other and say, you are indeed a special challenge. Just say that out loud.
1: <laughs> and and I will confirm that Mark has been a special challenge I have been. all these years <laughs> and continues to Very be. Very special. Um But the Bible doesn't say you might face hard times and special challenges. It says you will. If you're married, you will. So write it down. If you're a newlywed and you haven't faced them yet, know it's coming. If you've been married for any length of time, you know that's already true, right? Any marriage that is healthy and happy through the years is a marriage that has been worked on because it's been hard. It's had continual work put into it. Psychologist Dr. Chris Thurman says that hard work and marriage often suggests that you've married the right person, not the wrong person.
0: I definitely married the right person.
1: (laughs) Have you ever thought about it? Hard work reflects the fact that all of us have things that, that we need to improve, things that we need to work on in order to be all that God wants us to be. Problems in your marriage aren't a signal that you should leave the marriage, but they're a signal that God is ready and waiting to do the hard work with you if you'll cooperate with him. He wants to work through those unhealthy patterns, those unhealthy habits that you've established over the course of your life. He wants to change you and develop you and make you into what he wants you to be. And honestly, you need your spouse to be able to do that. He uses your spouse in your life to produce those things in you. Our son-in-law bought our daughter Ashley a pottery wheel for Christmas. And I don't know a whole lot about making pottery, but it got me thinking about the fact that the Bible describes God as a potter and we're the clay, that he's working and forming the clay. But I was thinking about Ashley and the potter's wheel. I mean, what do they do? They take a lump of clay, they throw it onto this wheel that is hard and immovable, and it's spinning all around. So I want you to think about God being the potter And you're the clay, and he's thrown you onto this hard, immovable, spinning wheel. Now, some of you are thinking, that is exactly what my marriage feels like right now. That's your spouse, and God is going to use that to form you into what he wants you to be, to form you into something useful, something of beauty. That's what he designed marriage to do. It's not just for our happiness, although you'll find happiness in marriage, It's not just for you to get your needs met, although your spouse will meet some of those needs, but it's because God is working on you. He's using your spouse, and he wants to make you who he designed you to be. If you bail out on this marriage thinking it's too tough, I mean, the next one's not going to be any easier. Statistics show us that 50% of all marriages in the United States end in divorce, but 60% of second marriages do, and 73% of third marriages do. So it will only get harder if you keep looking and trying again. Looking for someone to be easy, that would be easy to be married to, honestly, is just a fantasy because none of us are easy. And if you think, you know, if it's grass is greener on the other side, the truth is the grass is greener where it's tended to. And so if you begin to tend to your relationship, you'll find it becoming greener and better and healthier so if you're struggling in your relationship today, Mark and I want to tell you, get excited. Because God, at work. God, Yay, God is at work. Right. He's, <laughs> He's right there. He's willing and ready to do the work that needs to be done to help you do that. But know that marriage is hard. Relationships are messy. We're messy. My mom always says there's no perfect marriages because there are no perfect people. And that's just the truth.
0: So so far we've learned that one of you is a lump and one of you is a crazy spinning (laughs) wheel.
1: Exactly. (laughs) I'm going to say you're the crazy spinning wheel. I'm the lump. Pretty true. (laughs) The second lie we often believe about marriage is that I shouldn't have to change. I mean, have you ever said to your spouse, if you really loved me, you'd accept me just like I am? I mean, we've all said that, right? At least you've thought it. Or you may have said, you know, this is just how I am. I've always been this way. You need to just accept me how I am. This is my personality. This is who God made me to be. You know, the argumentative, irritable (laughs) person that we become in that relationship. If you have said those things and you've fallen into believing this lie that I shouldn't have to change, believing the lie that, that in a good marriage that spouses Don't have to or they shouldn't have to make changes for each other. It's just not true. The truth is that marriage requires change. The problem is that so often we go into these relationships and yeah, we think there needs to be change, but who do we think needs to change? The other person, right? Instead of looking at ourselves and looking at the things that God may be trying to do and the things that he wants to change in us, the issue isn't, should I have to change to make my marriage better? The issue is, what do I need to change to make my marriage better? God requires that we work on our weaknesses. And having an intimate relationship, you're going to have lots of chances to work on your weaknesses. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Make every effort to live in peace with all men, and to be holy. If we're going to do what that verse commands us to do, I mean, it's going to require change on our part, right? I don't know about you, but I'm not holy yet. So it's going to require a constant change, making adjustments to one another whenever it's required of us. I don't know if anyone here is a diabetic and has to use daily insulin, but I think of it kind of in that picture. If you are that person, what do you have to do every day? You get up in the morning, you check your blood insulin level, level, right, your blood sugar level. You have to, based on that, decide, you know, what are you going to eat today? What kind of exercise do you need? How much insulin are you going to take today? And for many people, it's multiple times over the course of the day that they have to do those things. They have to pay special care and attention and monitoring and making adjustments so that they can keep their good health, right? And what happens if they don't? well, eventually they're going to die. It may be quick, it may stretch out over time, but that's the end result. If they don't take the care and attention that they need to to their health. Our relationships, our marriages are the very same way. If we don't make every effort, like that scripture says, to live at peace and to be holy, our relationships are going to die over time. Obviously, the idea of holiness is going to require change on our part, But God never intended us to get married and stay the same. That was not his plan. I think it's a lie for us. It's sometimes hard because maybe if you're like me, you start thinking, you know, the enemy whispers another thought in your head and you think, well, Mark's not making any effort to change. So I'm not going to either. I mean, if he doesn't do it, why would I do that? That's not fair. Go back to the diabetic for a minute. What if they did that? You know, my husband's not checking his blood sugar level. I'm not going to do that today. I mean, that's not fair. Well, who gets hurt? Diabetic. May even lose their life. In your marriage, in your relationships, it's the same way. If I say, well, Mark's not willing to make any changes. He's not doing anything. Who gets hurt? I do. Because I've missed out on the opportunities that God has for me to make changes, to become more like him, to be who he wants me to be. I get hurt. I lose out. I have to make the choice that's best for me in my marriage. And that's what it is. Choose to make changes. Choose to monitor the relationship, to monitor my relationship with God and, and make the changes that are necessary.
0: So, so far we've learned that one of you's a lump, one of you's a crazy spinning wheel, and marriage is like having low blood sugar. So we're excited. (laughs) We believe some of those lies, and then we come to excuses. One of the ones I hear all the time, as a pastor, we just outgrew each other. You ever said that? We just outgrew each other. The idea that people can outgrow each other is a really popular excuse, but it's just not true. Not if it's real growth, not if it's spiritual growth. The man was packing his suitcase, marriage done. I mean, he had tried and tried and tried. This obviously wasn't going to work. His wife's in the other room sobbing. And his little four and a half year old son comes into the room and says, Daddy, please don't leave. And the man just breaks down crying. But he's desperate. What does he do now? God, what can I do now? That was about year six in our marriage. So we know what we're talking about. But Laura, in year six, went through, experienced a time of tremendous personal growth. She started getting counseling and Her life took a a sudden and dramatic jump in how she lived her life, how she saw the world. She was more self-aware, more patient with me and the kids and, and just seemed to enjoy life more. Now, Laura could have looked at me, the same old, unevolved Mark, right? I've just outgrown you. Instead, her growth allowed her to see our relationship in a different light because she was growing closer to God. In her eyes, I even looked like a better husband than I did before. She started noticing some of the little things that I had been doing for her all along. It was almost as if I had evolved along with her, even though I hadn't put in that effort. She saw more pluses in me and less minuses. She was more patient with what I now know was just a a terrible ADHD. But finally, I'm working on because I didn't even know I had it. Did she grow annoyed with me that I wasn't growing? No, didn't. She was happier and more fulfilled in and out of our relationship. Personal growth makes a person a better person. Listen to how the Bible describes it in Proverbs 27, 17. It takes a grinding wheel to sharpen a blade. So no one sharpens, so one person sharpens the character of another guys look at your significant other and say you are an amazing grinding wheel all right (laughs) now here's the deal I like that idea of significant other right because they're significant and boy are they other right can't figure each other out lots of times but as you grow your relationship should become better if it's real growth Growth makes us more accepting of incompatibilities and more resourceful. Let me just give you the rest of our story. As Laura outgrew me, it didn't take long for me to keep looking at her and go, you know what, I'll think I'll take a double portion of what she's having. And I started getting counseling for myself. And in a a few short months, it might not have seemed short months to Laura, but it seemed like short to me, I started to grow in ways too. And our marriage turned around in a really amazing, amazing way. I became more self-aware. I actually felt more mature, which was about time, right? Don't say anything. Um, (laughs) And we experienced more closeness in marriage, and it was a heck of a lot more fun, I can tell you that. It's been over 30 years now since that happened. And it all began when Laura suddenly outgrew me and saved our marriage. So... We outgrew each other. No, not true at all. What about this one? Probably what happened was this excuse. Well, we've just lost the feeling of love. Hate it when that happens. Have, have, how many of you in here would say, Mark, I'm just a hopeless romantic. Just raise your hand if you see. So, okay, there's a, you know, I was at one point, but marriage will zap that right out of you, right? <laughs> That's why we don't have many hands going up. But Mark, you know, love is so fickle and, and, and so capricious. It's really, it's not my fault. I, I, I mean, I, I love this person, but I'm not in love with this person anymore. See, the American way that we think of, we've been, it's been ingrained in our mind to experience love is almost like a helpless victim, right? I fell in love. That doesn't sound... Anything but painful, right? And if you really fell in love, it's head over heels. That, it really hurts. In fact, all the all of the songs are like, you know, go back to the 70s. I love the 70s and the 80s, you know. I can't live if living is without that I, I don't know why they didn't get me to sing with the band today. <laughs> or I've lost that love and feeling. You can sing it with me, yeah? No. So many of the marriage problems that I see are because one spouse reports, I just don't feel it anymore. I have one word to say on that. Good. say, good? Listen to what eminent psychiatrist Scott Peck says. He argues that romantic love impedes spiritual growth and marital growth. Did you hear that? Romantic love impedes marital growth. Here's the interesting thing. Peck and other esteemed psychologists refer to the the idea of falling in love as ego boundaries dropping. You know what an ego boundary is? It's the limits of ourself. Little newborns, they don't have ego boundaries. Their world is the whole world. They think it's all the same, them, the world. But as we mature, we begin to find those limits, the ends of ourselves, where we stop and others start. But being social animals, Scott Peck says that it's kind of lonely when you figure that out. And we get lonely and nothing causes ego boundaries to collapse more than that feeling, that illusion of falling in love. It, it creates the illusion of you're beloved, you know. I mean, they're just one with you and loneliness becomes a thing of the past. Prominent anthropologist Helen Fisher spent her career exploring what happens to the brain when falling in love. Natural endorphins flood your brain. Oxytocin makes you feel connected. Natural opiates begin to just proliferate in your brain. To your brain, the feeling of ecstasy created by falling in love. Well, why did you marry him? Well, you were drugged. (laughs) That's the only explanation. Your body drugged you. And Scott Peck says this temporary collapse of ego boundaries that constitutes falling in love is a trick that our genes pull on our minds to enhance sexual pairing and the survival of the species. He said, without this trick, which is temporary, we would have run in terror from the marriage vows. Think about that for a minute. But due to the potency of falling in love, when we fall out of love, it's sometimes seen as the beginning of the end. But Peck believes it's the opposite. And that's what the Bible also would teach. It's amazing when psychologists figure out 2,000 years later what the Bible already says, right? The thing is, if you don't set up good boundaries, did you know your ego boundaries could drop with 15 or 20 people in your lifetime? If you have that chemistry and you get too close, they can drop. It's called an affair if you don't watch it but oh i'm in love i'm so in love it's not gonna last it's not gonna last there's death in it okay so trust me on this you're gonna lose the love and feeling maybe it's gonna take six months maybe it's gonna take six days some of you lost it on the honeymoon right but here's the bible's perspective love is not a feeling love is a verb feelings come and go They they change moment by moment. They're not a reliable gauge. Love is so much more than a a feeling. It's a commitment to act lovingly when the feelings aren't there. We're going to go in depth about some of these things in our marriage workshop in February. I hope you'll come and be a part. Really specific things. You see, you didn't agree to stay married to your spouse until you don't feel love anymore, right? You made commitments. You may have even brought children into the equation. Think about that as a parent. How many times have you said, you know what? I'm getting out of this parenthood thing. I'm done. You don't do that, do you? I'm just leaving them at the church nursery. I'm not picking them up. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not going to do it. So what do you do when the feelings aren't there? goes back to the verse we read. You remember it says, for God is working in you. What is he working in you? Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In marriage, God has to give you the want to. And God has to give you the power to. I love how the Amplified Translation puts it. For it is not your strength, but it's God who is effectively at work in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure it's not up to you. Isn't that a relief? It's up to him. How do you do this? You've got to take each small right step. The verse right before it said, obeying God with deep reverence. Your job is to obey. God's job is to give you the will, the want to, and the ability to. And that's what happens. It's You say, well, you don't even, you don't know this guy that I'm married to. This is impossible. God loves impossible situations. That's what Wes said last week. Remember Jesus talking to the lame man on the mat? And what did he tell him? Rise up and walk. And that guy could have gone like, well, you're just making fun of me now. I can't rise up and walk. No, he tried. He tried it. He trusted what Jesus said and he attempted. And God moved. That's what God does. It always takes a miracle. Marriages take a miracle. Marriages to be really successful take God.
1: So what do we do? How do we get that marriage relationship that reflects God's design? How do we not become one of those statistics that we shared earlier? I think it's exactly what Mark said. We have to take action have to get up and do something like that crippled man did when he obeyed Jesus. That's when the miracle took place. So let's make a move. We have to make a move. We've covered a lot already today. So just briefly, we want to share with you some actions you can take this week to help bring change about to your relationship. The first action is simply to acknowledge and use our power to choose. Did you know that you have the power to choose? One of the major themes that you see all throughout scripture is that... That God is calling us to make choices. And you see it in a really big way in the book, chapter of Deuteronomy, chapter 30. It's the story of Moses. Many of you know that story. Um, You may remember that, but just to briefly refresh you Moses uh, was a Jewish boy. He was adopted into the family of Pharaoh. And during that time, the people of Israel were captive. Um, In Egypt, they were serving as slaves there, and there came a day as Moses grew up that he realized who he was and the purpose and role that God had for his life to lead the people of Israel out of captivity. So he does so, but the journey isn't easy. They end up out in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience to God. I mean, what better place for God to do some work and change in your life but out in the wilderness? Finally, God got ready to, after those 40 years, lead them into the land that he had promised to the people of Israel. And right before they go, Moses stops and listen to these words that he says to the people. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, Obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses is telling the people of Israel, you have a choice to make today. You can follow after God and obey him and do the things that he's calling you to do, which is to choose life or not, which is to choose death. There were only those two options. There was nothing else. There wasn't any other way, God's way or not. It was true then, and it's still true today in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships. We can choose God's way or not. There's not any other way. There's not a third option. And when we choose God's way, we get God's results. And my guess is that's what you all want, right? So we have to choose God's way. It's that simple. It makes our relationships look very simple. And I'm not saying easy again, but it's simple. This choice or this one. God's way or not. That's what he's calling us to today. I think one of the most poignant moments of Jesus' earthly life must have been the day that he turned around to the crowds that had been following him and listening to him teach. And and he said these words to them. He said, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? And I wonder sometimes in our relationships, in our lives, if God doesn't look at us and say the same thing, you keep calling me Lord, Lord, you keep calling yourself a believer, a follower of Jesus. Why don't you do what I say? If you would do that in your marriage, if you would do that with your kids, if you would do that on the job, things would be so different. And that's what he's calling us today. That's what it means to choose life. We don't just call him Lord, but we take a step of obedience and follow him.
0: You know, Wes said last week, when the power of God meets a willing heart, the impossible becomes possible. Now, I know some of you this morning, you're where I was. You're six and you're going, I'm just... I heard, Mark, you don't know. You don't know this person I'm married to. I just don't know if I'm willing to try anymore. I hear you. I love you. But I love you so much. Let me just reframe what you're saying to God when you say that. You're saying this. God, I know you're ready to do a miracle in me right now and asking me to act but I really don't believe you have the power to do it. In fact, the truth really is, I really don't trust that you will do it. I believe my feelings are stronger than you are. And I choose to continue to be my own God because really I'm the only God I trust in this world. Please bless me and give me comfort and peace as I doubt your character, reject your word, dismiss your power, thwart your plan for me and flatly refuse to obey and take the next right step. All the while calling myself a believer. Amen. That's not who you are. That's not what Laura and I want for you. God's got so much more. I know you don't feel good right now. I get it. I know we're in all kinds of different places. Some of you are even going like Mark. You don't know. I've already failed. I've, I'm already divorced. Listen. Life's not over. Jesus takes you right where you are. He's got good plans for you. So what do you commit to? What do you you want to do? I say commit to personal and spiritual growth. And probably what that's going to mean right now is just commit to be here for these next couple of months as we go through this. Commit to come to the marriage seminar. There's going to be also a trauma seminar that's part of this. And, you know, a lot of us need that. A lot of us had a lot of childhood trauma. We're going to even talk about that in the marriage seminar, about how our early attachments trigger us in our marriages. Some of the things that you're dealing with, you'll never be able to solve in marriage because it's not the two of you. It's you and somebody in the past. And your spouse is bringing that out in you. God's got something good for us here. I can tell you. No one can ever say to Laura or to me, my marriage is beyond help because that was us. I mean, I'm telling you, if you could have been in my place and saw how desperate, that's why I'm appealing to you right now. I needed someone to appeal to me in that moment. It was my four and a half year old son. that just said, please don't weave. And that's what I want to say to you. Please don't leave. Let's leave room for the power of God. Let's watch what he can do. Would you just close your eyes with me? God's here. The word impossible, that's not in his vocabulary. Impossible. That means miracle time. That's all it means. Will you watch him do a miracle in you? Will you trust him enough? Maybe for the very first time, you've realized, I don't think I even know Jesus like Mark's talking about. I've been trying to earn my salvation really hard. I've been trying to work so hard for God and it's all this religion. Religion is so boring. When I tell people that, they can't believe I'm a pastor saying religion is boring. But a relationship with God is so dynamic. And Jesus is right here. He's saying, if you will simply trust me, allow me to be the Lord of your life. I read a quote from Tony Evans this past week, and he said, a lot of us, we want the healing, but we're not that interested in the relationship with the healer. Maybe God has used your marriage, maybe even the failed marriage, and you're here after divorce. To bring you to this point today, you say, God, all I want is you. And I want you to give me the will. And I need you to give me the action, the power to take the next right step. Show me what it is. I'll do it. Show me what it is. I'll do it. That's the action step today. The next small right step. It might just be staying this week. Being here next week, coming to those seminars. I believe God's going to do some real miracles. Let me pray for you. God, that's what we're asking. I saw you do it in us. I saw my believing wife take me who claimed to be a believer, but had really lost faith in you for our marriage and turn things around for us. And some of us are here today and our spouses aren't here. You can take us and you can do the miracle in us. And more than anything else, I know that you want to know us personally. You want to heal us on the inside. And then you want to watch your dynamite power begin to move out from us into our marriages, into our parenting, into our relationships. So do it, Lord. Come, kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God in every heart and every life within the sound of my voice, in Jesus' name, amen.